Hey, everybody, if you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com stuff right now and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code stuff and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Charles W. Chuck Bryant is across from me, out of kissing distance. And uh, I guess that makes us stuff you should know. The the non-kissing edition. About kissing. Which is every single one of our shows thus far. Body farms came close. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I had the urge to make out. (laughs) Remember I took my shirt off. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and you're like, I'm not doing this. Well, that quelled, that quelled my urge to make out. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, really? Yes. This, uh-huh. this is what you want? And you're like, no, put it away. Hey. Hey, man. It's been a big month, and we're at the end of it, aren't we? Yes. October, Rocktober has been nutty. I know. We've been on the TV twice. Twice? Yeah. Remember um, Good Day at Lamb? Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I already forgot about that. <laughs> yes, we were on TV twice. Yes, we were. Mm-hmm. We went to New York, to D.C., to D.C., to South Carolina. Well, one of us went to South Carolina. Yeah, more on that later. And um, this is the end, Chuck. This is this is the last work-related thing we have to do this month. Do you know what stinks is October is my favorite month and always has been, and I don't feel like I really got to enjoy October this year that much. Yeah, I've had uh, December's like that for me. I love Christmas time, the yeah. holiday season. And um, I've had a, a December like that, and I was like, this... Someone owes you. Yeah. That's how I feel. The universe does. The universe owes me in October. Although it's not like we were... I mean, we had a lot of great times in New York and stuff. It's not like it was uh, sure. an awful experience. No, but I know what you mean. Like, you have a certain month out of the year that's dedicated yeah. to certain things, it's and if you gone. don't pursue those certain things, then yes. you, uh, what's life worth? Exactly. But here we are in November almost, and uh, we're getting back to normal, or at least whatever the new normal is. Yeah. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. You're excited. And we're talking about kissing today, right? This is a very um, hard clinical look at the science of kissing. Yes. Which, by the way, we should say the science uh, sci- uh, scientific study of kissing is called philematology, P-H-I-L-E-M-A-tology. So we're philematologists for the day. Yes. Uh, so let me go ahead, Josh, and then just start out uh, clinically saying that anthropologists, no one knows for sure why we kiss to begin with. Right. There's some theories, though, and one of them anthropologists came up with was that back when we were uh, evolving humans, that we <laughs> um, 
that mothers would uh, regurgitate, or not regurgitate, but they would chew up their food. That's to- regurgitating. I thought regurgitating was when you literally like threw it up. Uh, okay, you're right, yes. Okay. But that mothers would take their newborns and they would chew up their food to then place it like a bird would into the baby's mouth. Mm-hmm. And that that evolved even once the kid learned how to eat into just uh, affectionate caretaking. Right, and um, it was a, a way to reassure the kid. It was something that the kid, I, I imagine, would had come to associate with pleasurable, close feelings. Yeah. Right, that and mom spitting sure. food into your mouth. <laughs> well, exactly. But that's the learned behavior idea, right? And yes. there's a big one big flaw with it. There is. And it is. Are you setting me up? I I'm like <laughs> you're pointing at me. Layup, dude. Yeah, uh the problem with that is there are some cultures, um, indigenous cultures today that still do that with their food and um some of them do not kiss until Westerners came along and they were like, Hey, you should try kissing. It's rad. Right, and the people kissed, and they went, this is rad. Right. And uh, that was that. But, but since not all of them do that, then that's n- not proof, but it kind of lends itself to saying maybe it's not a learned behavior. Um, I had a, like, this makes sense to me, but I also, it makes me wonder um, if behavior evolves, right? Um sure. Isn't it possible that, that it doesn't always evolve over the same timeline in all cultures and all locations? Well, that's what I thought. It didn't necessarily prove something but it is a big it's a big flaw that, yeah. that people can just like pick apart like so many scabs right what about the other side of the coin though? the other side of the coin is that it's instinctive and there's a lot of evidence that um kissing is instinctive uh elsewhere in the animal kingdom um you see like tigers nuzzling that's that so sweet it is um apparently snails rub antennae which yeah. is super cute uh-huh. have you ever seen it uh yes i have like the slow motion i think discovery actually had some of that uh it's it's actually rather, or maybe it was that movie Microcosm. I'm but sure it, it, it looks really lurid when you see two snails yeah. combining themselves. Yeah. Com- wow. When exactly. you see it up close, it's like, oh, my God, this, this is, is a clinical and <laughs> sterile look at things. Uh, I think birds uh, touch beaks. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's all over the animal kingdom. In a lot of cases, what you're seeing is a... Um, like s- smell, their scent glands yeah. located in the face sure. of some animals in that area. I think cats so, have that. Yeah. So when you see two tigers nuzzling, they're like smelling one another's pheromones or some scent that's pleasurable. But the point is, is while they may not be kissing as we know it, mm-hmm. they're still engaged in pretty much the same behavior uh, uh, that establishes bonds, that reinforces trust, sure. and that shows that you are close to that that other animal, that mate or that kinfolk. Yeah. Didn't you have something on the bonobo apes? Uh, yes. I thought you were telling me something about that earlier. I wasn't. You weren't? No, you had me confused with someone else. Oh. Well, these uh, things kiss like crazy. They do, and they kiss regardless of sex, regardless of status in the um, in the pack. Is it a pack of apes? The family? The tribe? I think it's a family. Well, we'll call uh, I don't it think family. I'm right. So, I mean, trust me, we're going to get email on this one. <laughs> yeah. uh, they kiss all the time, though. They do it to reduce tension after a fight, uh, to reassure each other, um, the social bonds, and for no reason at all. You know the uh, reduce tension after a fight? Do you know who that reminded me of? Who? Ronnie and Donnie Galleon. Oh, yeah. Remember, they kiss oh, yeah. and make up after a fight. The world's oldest conjoined twins. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, so very cute. sweet story. Yeah. They're still with us, aren't they? As far as I know. Oh, goodness, Chuck, their birthday just happened. They'd be 58 now. That's right. Yeah. We need to check in on them. 
Not that they know who we are. <laughs> We're just the creepy guy who followed them home from school. <laughs> All right. So there's there's um, arguments for and against. Uh, we should say part of the problem with um, with saying that kissing is instinctive is it's very difficult to prove. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that about... Ninety percent of all cultures across the world kiss. Yeah. So if it's instinctive, what's up with the other ten percent? Well, they I think they found some uh, cultures in Asia mm-hmm. and where else? South America. South America, and, but um, I think uh, Africa. Right, and they said that it, while it's it's not completely conclusive that they do not kiss, some of them may not think it's appropriate to like share that with the white dude that got off the plane that's asking them about it. Right. <laughs> you know. So maybe they don't kiss and tell, but generally, I mean, everywhere I look said 90% of all cultures kiss, so that's what we're going to go with. Yeah, and in a kissy face culture, which is most of them, as we've seen, um, I found, Chuck, that people spend as much as two weeks out of their lives kissing. Really? Which, you want to hear something depressing? That's about as much time as we spend a, a, a waiting for red lights in our lifetime. I wonder how much time is spent kissing at red lights. I don't know. That's a great question. I was wondering how much more we would kiss if we spent less time at red lights. Yeah. Like if maybe it'd be like three weeks in one week or something like that. That's a good point. So uh, there are people, as we said, uh, philematologists who study the science of kissing, of kissy faces-ness. And one of those groups is the Kinsey Institute, named after the famous sex researcher Alfred Kinsey. Yes. And uh, they've basically found that there are three factors that contribute to the experience of a kiss, right? Yes. And they are biological, psychological, and social. Yeah, psychological, um, there's a couple of factors within that, sub-factors. It depends on how you're feeling at the time and how you feel about the person of how it's going to affect you. Obviously, you've heard the expression like kissing your sister. That's if you're being kissed by someone you don't want to be kissed by. Uh-huh. You're going to have a completely different reaction, obviously, than when you're being kissed by someone you really want to kiss. Sure. And your emotional state at the time you're being kissed has a lot to do with it as well. Right. There's a lot of um, physiological processes that your body undergoes when you're kissing or being kissed. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about those uh, in um, a little greater detail in a second. Yeah. Uh, and then there's social factors, like how your society views kissing, like is your first kiss going to be this magical experience in right. your society? Sure. You're probably going to be looking forward to it. So much pressure. Right. Is is kissing extremely romantic or is it kind of middle of the road? Right. Um, is it taboo? All of these things are going to have an effect on the psychological impact as well. So there's sociology, biology, and psychology living in harmony on the lips of all humans. Yes, and Except we should point well, 90% out ninety percent of all. Humans. <laughs> we should point out that um, that's not just for lovey-dovey kissing. That's actually for all kinds of kissing. So, like when a mommy kisses your boo-boo, those three factors are still taking place. Obviously, just in a non-romantic uh, nature. Right, different different contexts, different sensations, but still, there's three different aspects to all kisses. Of what you're saying, no matter yeah. what kind of kiss, and they all all kisses amount to something positive. They're all meant to reinforce some sort of positive feeling. Right, like love. Reassurance. R- right. Or uh, reassurement. Reassurement or romantic uh, budding sexuality. All those things. Right. The, when you place the word budding at the beginning of sexuality, it just makes it so much more awkward. Right. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Budding sexuality. It's, it's weird. 
Well, because it implies everything that it is, which is youth. I don't even know what's going on. It's budding. Right. That's what I think, at least. Um, I guess, Chuck, we've reached the point that uh, we should talk about when people started kissing. And um, we should say historians, anthropologists, psychologists, no one has any idea exactly when people started kissing because we can't even say whether it's instinctive or learned, right? Sure. But the earliest accounts that we have of kissing come about 3,500 years ago. Uh, and it's described, it's not, that word isn't used obviously, um, but it, it, what people are taking as a description of kissing appears in these uh, ancient Vedic texts out of India, right? Yeah, Sanskrit. Yes, I think they're in Sanskrit. They called it sucking face back then. <laughs> it's evolved into kissing. <laughs> uh, after that, it, it started becoming a little more prevalent, uh, prevalent in like art and literature. Right. That kind of thing. Like in a little text that might sound familiar, the Vatsyayana Kama Sutram. Ah. Uh-huh. A.K.A. the Kama Sutra. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. Penthouse Letters. Yeah. Don't you find it funny that the book on uh, sexual positions was written 3,000 years ago or more? Um, no. Sixth century A.D.? What I find funny is that no one's really improved upon this, you know, tome. You they so? pretty much wrote the definitive book on sexual positions and sexuality. I just find that interesting. But they also uh, cover kisses, all kinds of kisses in the Kama Sutra. Right. And that was a long, long time ago. Right. It was written, standardized in the 6th century AD, but it had been passed down orally for centuries before that. Right? Yes. And um, so they think that probably... Yeah, kissing. They don't, they're not saying it originated in India, but this is where the earliest accounts are. So, kissing originated in India. Well, and they think that the, the anthropologists think it's a learned behavior. Think that Alexander the Great learned about it in India mm-hmm. when he invaded and was like, "This is awesome. Let me go take this back to uh, Greece," and that he did. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, 
Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I remember hearing a long time ago that um, kissing... I don't know where I, I used to get these facts. I think it was the same place where I heard that um, Genghis Khan killed 1.8 million people in an hour. Yeah. Uh, but they said that kissing uh, was located only in the Mediterranean up until 500 years ago and that it is a, um, a, a symbol of our urge to cannibalize one another. Not true. <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. I don't either. Uh, so we're in the Roman Empire now, and they kissed a lot. They kissed as greetings... They kiss their uh, ruler's hands as right. a sign of respect. Right. <laughs> it was out of respect. And they came up with the three categorizations of kissing. I know. Um, the Romans really like to categorize things. Like yeah. Love, different types of love. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one is, uh, there's osculum, which is a kiss on the cheek. Mm-hmm. There is basium, which is a kiss on the lips. And then there's, see if you can guess this one, uh, civolium. Yeah. Yeah, like, (laughs) that's that kind of kiss. Yeah, that's a deep kiss. And it doesn't necessarily say anything about the French variety, but um, I think that's just sort of implied. Right, and historians also suspect that um, a lot of the uh, kissing traditions we still hold today in the modern era um, were were founded or originated in um, Rome, right? Yeah. Like, there's a uh, kissing to seal a uh, wedding, to end a, a wedding ceremony. Yeah. Uh, you may now kiss the bride. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, if you made out in front of a bunch of people, like you were married, that meant you were in, married in ancient room. Like, yeah, whoa, I know. Yeah, do you know how many people would be married today? Lots of people, a lot, and divorced, and married, and divorced. Yeah, and uh, also since you said the sealed thing, the sealed with a kiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, we generally think of like a love letter sealed with a kiss, but back then they used to seal uh, legal documents with kisses, right? Which is a little weird to me. Well, it it kind of points out, it was weird to me too, I'm thinking, um, it points out how seriously people took kissing back then. Yeah. It was relatively new. Sure. And like, this is a big new thing. Or if, if I should say the um, learned behavior proponents are correct, it was relatively new and they're like, right. this is very important, it's very sacred. Right. Um, and speaking of sacred, it um, played a big role in the... Uh, the Catholic Church, there was this thing called the Holy Kiss, right? Yeah, the Ossolum Passus. Yes. And uh, they kissed the Holy Kiss. Basically, they thought you were transferring your spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christianity. Well, when I say the spirit, oh, what did I say, your spirit? Well, you said, yeah. No, the big one. Okay. <laughs> the, the Trinity. The dove. And uh, they, um, unfortunately, the um, Protestant Reformation killed like everything else that was fun. Killed the holy kiss as well. Well, not just that. It's um, it also gave rise to articles like this because, in fact, writing a very sterile scientific article on kissing mm-hmm. is a very very Protestant thing to do. It is. It's a very Protestant activity to engage in. Yeah, you're right. I never thought about that. But yeah, it went from like uh, the the Christians, the early Catholics kissed one another at mass. That was the holy kiss. Um, and then the in the 13th century, the church was like, no, kiss this board instead. And they call it a Pax board or peace yeah. board. So everybody kissed that. And then the Protestants came along and they're like, no kissing. Everybody just stare forward. Not even the Pax board? 
No passport. No. Really? There's no more kissing. And then it, in Catholicism, it finally just basically went to the Pope's ring. That's what's kissed now is the Pope's ring. You know, I went to a uh, church conference when I was a teenager, and they uh, were playing music, and it was a big sing-along type of thing. And they said something about, one of the guys says, you know, don't stomp your feet too rhythmically, because that's a little too close to dancing. <laughs> I remember that distinctly made it a big impression on me. Wow. It was like Footloose. Wow. Yeah. And you were that Val. explains a lot, doesn't it? Huh? You were Val. Nah, I started dancing. I started break right. dancing. That's Val. Oh. Wasn't that his name? Oh, Kevin yeah, Bacon's yeah. name in Footloose? Val. Yes. Yeah, my buddy's working on that remake right now. With Zac Efron? No, he's not in it. He was of... supposed to. He was first tapped to play it. No, it's a bunch of unknowns. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Dennis Quaid. Okay. He's the preacher. Uh, so let's talk about a little more non-fun, sterile things, <laughs> like the uh, Orbicularis oris. Let's see that. The Orbicularis oris? Well, yeah, there's uh, certain muscles that you use when you kiss, and in a very standard, no-frills kiss, the puckered kiss, mm-hmm. that's the Orbicularis oris at work, that facial muscle. Yeah. But very few people kiss like that. They did, we would not reproduce. Right. Um, so there's a bunch of other muscles involved, um, one of which, well, several of which actually tilt your head to the side because apparently about three, two-thirds of people who kiss, uh, so two-thirds of the 90% of humans who kiss tilt their head to the side, to the right. To the right, when specifically. They kiss. Yeah. yeah. And apparently we um, develop a preference for this in utero. Isn't that weird? Yeah, but and it, it seems so natural to me. I just tilted my head to the left, and I can't imagine going to kiss my wife and tilting my head to the left. Well, one of the problems is, is since everybody's tilting to the right, if you tilted your head to the left, you'd go in well, at yeah, the sure. same angle, too. That's so awkward. It is awkward. It's like the teeth knock. That's when you know things aren't going to work out. The teeth knock? Yeah, if, that, if that's happening early on. I then... think it depends on the reaction. Really? Yeah. Well, you can laugh it off and stuff. Sure. That's huge. But you should also kind of sort of have that chemistry, I think, innately. A teeth knock is not a deal breaker. <laughs> wow, you are... I'm wow. pretty tough. Wow. <laughs> That's why I didn't date much. That's funny. I was turning left and knocking teeth. You're like, look, uh, Leslie, I'm, I'm very sorry. Like, you're a very nice girl, and um, I like your parents a lot, but um, you, <laughs> your teeth brushed against mine in one of our <laughs> early kisses, so this can't go any further. Yeah, I'm tough. Well, That's why I got married at, like, 36... No teeth knocking? No teeth knocking, kid. Uh, so do you want to co- cover those muscles? It's a lot of boring names. No, but, but let's they all talk play about what they, what they do. Like okay. the, um, there's other, other muscles move the lips around. So instead of just puckering, you can be like, mwah, mwah, right. Mwah, yeah. Right? I just use several muscles, uh-huh. muscle groups. Yeah. Um, there's also ones that, um, pull the corner of your mouth down. Yeah. And you and and lower your lower lip, right? Like the depressor anguliaris. Mm-hmm. Apparently, if you hear the word oris in re- reference to a muscle, it's a facial muscle that is involved in kissing. Right, right. And then, um, importantly, I would say the genioglossus, styloglossus, palatoglossus, and hyoglossus. All those muscles operate your tongue. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. 
That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If, if, as Tracy Wilson, who wrote this article, puts it, if you decide to use it. Right. If you're from France and that's how you kiss, then <laughs> those four muscles are, are going to control your tongue. Right. I was kind of surprised at first it, it was those four muscles, but when you look at the tongue, it's extremely malleable and there's all sorts of like, you know, you can make, you can roll your tongue and make clovers out of your tongue and it's a very specific, contro- controllable uh, piece of your body. Digit? Is it a digit? I guess, have you ever seen a tongue outside of the mouth? Um... What do you mean? Like a surgically removed tongue. Not a human one. Gross? Yeah. I saw one at the um, the Atomic Bomb Memorial Museum in Hiroshima. Uh-huh. The guy whose tongue was taken out had turned like black because uh. he was exposed to radioactivity. And I can't... I've seen two. This was one of two tongues that I've seen completely removed. But there's like the soft palates attached that like spreads out and back. Really? It's really interesting looking. Crazy. Yeah, you don't want to see a tongue outside of a mouth. Well, especially one that's, you know, was bombed. Right. I'm sure that didn't help. No. Uh, so obviously, Josh, too, what happens when you kiss is you, you, like everything with the brain, you have to have the, um, the nerves from your face sending messages to your brain, <laughs> telling your brain what's going on. And that stimulates a lot of things like dopamine and serotonin. Oxytocin is becoming an increasingly yeah, that's a big one. important neurotransmitter. Yeah, what's the deal there? Well, it, it creates um, feelings of affection, attachment, uh-huh. loyalty. Uh-huh. Um, it's uh, they they think that love, in a lot of ways, especially intense early romantic love, resembles addiction. So there's there's a lot of dopamine that gets released when you see the person right. that you're attracted to. But then over time, um, it can it it turns into long lasting companionship love. That's right. oxytocin at, at work. Oh. And it's also uh, very big in milk production as well. So it, um, <laughs> so it, uh, that's very strange that I would have done that. <laughs> but, um, it, 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 it's present, it forces milk production and it's also transferred from mother to child uh, okay. through breastfeeding. So it promotes feelings of attachment through that as well. How about that? Yeah. Uh, adrenaline? 
our old buddy with the fight, uh, fight or flight yep. that we haven't talked about in a while. Hey, adrenaline. And uh, all sorts of natural endorphins uh, make that euphoric feeling come alive. And not only that, it actually increases your heart rate and your your blood starts pumping more mm-hmm. and you're getting more oxygen to your body just from kissing. Even if you're, you know, let's say lying down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, lying down. If you're in a prone position, let's say, and you're kissing somebody, your heart rate's still going to increase as if you were like exercising. Right. I think you're um, prepping for physical activity relations. I think so. Thank you. Should we mention the one study? I know we looked at this when we did the webcast about the smell. Yeah, this fascinates me. I have I I want to believe it's correct because it's just so it's elegantly simple. Yeah. But um, but I think you should take it. This is this is yours. Well, it, it, I think it's the the situation is um, you can reproduce. <laughs> <It's like this. laughs> you can reproduce with somebody who has a, a different immune system. If you reproduce someone with different immune mm-hmm. qualities that you have, right. you will produce a more robust, healthier child. Right, because your kid's going to have your um, right. immunities and your husband's immunities exactly. or wives or reproductive partners. Immunities yeah. combined, and apparently you can sniff this out. Uh, supposedly, here's the big problem with that. Like what you're talking about, and what this theory is based on, is uh-huh. pheromones. And from what I understand, we've been shown to have an organ that at one time was capable of detecting pheromones, but that most humans, not all humans, mm-hmm. most humans aren't capable of using this this nasopharynxal organ any longer. We'll just call it the appendix. Okay. That's actually supposedly where um, I think some sort of uh, antibodies go to basically hide out and um, generate backup and then go back and fight uh, oh, really? infections and cancer and things again. I knew they were kind of uh, thought they had figured out the appendix for a while. <laughs> you don't just go removing organs willy-nilly just because I, we don't realize what they're for, you know? I know. That's what I that's said. It's like knocking Pluto off the list of planets. <laughs> exactly. So were you done with your smell thing there, though? I'm done. Okay. It was yours, and I hijacked it. I apologize for that, Chuck. That's all right. Um, there's been some recent studies in the past year that uh, just, I'll throw out a couple of stats, uh, from the University of Albany said that 59% of men and 66% of women report that after feeling attracted initially to someone, that the attraction ended after the first kiss. 66% of women. That's... but. That's weird. That Not makes you cheat. think about the... Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you. No, but it's like the immune protein idea. Like maybe these people had similar immune proteins and they found that in the kiss and were like, yeah. Yeah, maybe. I'm looking for a more robust, less weakly child. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and the same guy who did the um, uh, professor at Albany that did that study said that he also thinks that because saliva has testosterone, the fact that men prefer like sloppy kissing and conceivably a more wet uh, saliva-ridden kiss mm-hmm. means that they are trying to transfer testosterone into the woman's mouth to trigger a sex drive. I don't that know sounds about an, that. like an awful lot of conjecture. <laughs> it's an awful lot of conjecture. <laughs> and another recent study in England, and this was like today I read this, that apparently heterosexual males in England don't mind kissing. Yeah, apparently it has to do with their football culture, right? Yeah, they said they interviewed 145 college and high school students, all of them straight as an arrow, and that they, uh, 37%, they had engaged in sustained kissing with another dude and didn't think it was a big deal. And 95% of athletes 
said they kissed another man compared to 80% of non-athletes. Yeah. So they theorize it starts on the old soccer pitch. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Gordon Ramsay's impact, clearly. Is it? Yeah. So, hey, all you swinging Brits out there, <laughs> good on you. And Chuck, uh, I think that we should remain faithful uh, to this article and end this podcast on kissing <laughs> with uh, some of the diseases you can catch from kissing. Go ahead. There's, of course, mononucleosis, the kissing disease, mm-hmm. mono. I've never had mono. I have not either. That's uh, drywall. I don't know if that counts. It maybe does we, not. Maybe we hit a stud. Yeah. Uh, there's herpes simplex 1, a.k.a. cold sores. Yeah. Um, meningitis, which is nasty stuff. But yeah. apparently you can. Uh, uh, there's an outside chance you can catch it kissing. Uh, they think that some of the bacteria that causes gastric ulcers uh, can be transferred from person to person via saliva and kissing. And there is apparently one case recognized by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention here in Atlanta, UGA, USA, mm-hmm. um, that, that one case of HIV has been reported that's been transmitted through kissing. Wow. That's a downer. That's how kissing works. Well, that means there's like some two open sores at the same time in the mouth, right? I mean... I guess you I can't remember, spread like, HIV I remember saliva, when uh, so. HIV and AIDS first, like, really kind of hit the public psyche. Oh yeah, it was like, can we sit on toilets? Oh, should we man. all just like shoot ourselves now? Like, yeah. what are we gonna do? And so kissing was a big one. Yeah. Uh, and then as as time went on, I remember somebody saying like, um, like the the stat was you'd have to like transfer a gallon of saliva to have a good chance <laughs> of of um catching you know, HIV or contracting HIV from somebody f- through kissing. And you're like, yeah. But it, I, I'm sh- I'm sure you're right. I'm sure that that it was through like s- from sore to sore, something horrible like that through kissing. Like, I mean, one case, you know. Uh, you all right? I, I'm just thinking about open source kissing and right. yeah. So if you want to um, read an article, read more about kissing, and possibly decide to never kiss again after <laughs> reading it, you can type in kissing in the swing and search bar at howstuffworks.com. An homage to the British. And uh, since I said that, the British, uh, that means it's time for a listener mail, right? Are they coming? They've already been here. Yeah, okay. Uh, this is from Sarah, and it's about jealousy. And like you predicted, Josh, we've had a lot of people write in and said, oh, I agree with Josh. And a lot of people said, I agree with Chuck. Yeah. It's healthy. It is. So, with that in mind, Sarah has to say this. Uh, I have to agree with the notion that a small amount of jealousy is not only normal, but healthy. So she's in the Josh game. Ta-da! I'm not talking about telling your significant other that they can't go here, can't go talk to that person based on jealousy, and calling that showing your love. I'm talking about having a twinge in your gut when you see or hear something that is generally a threat. If you don't have any fear about your partner ditching you, does that suggest that you don't care if your partner leaves you? I say no. Or does that mean you're not realistic? Maybe. (laughs) Uh, So say there's a bad day when you were a putz, and that handsome guy at the farmer's market smiles a little too big at your wife, and you see her, in fact, that makes her feel pretty. If that doesn't affect you at all, doesn't cause a little something in your gut, then does that also mean that you'll miss the opportunity to think, hey, maybe I should do a little something to make her feel pretty? This is a great point. This is. This is an excellent point. And if you do keep missing those opportunities, maybe you'll end up taking things for granted. I've expressed... uh, 
and appreciated very small showings of jealousy. Uh, husband doesn't want to dance at work parties, so I say fine, and I dance without him. He sees a good-looking guy come to dance near me, and he suddenly feels like dancing with his wife. Uh, that is A-OK with me. Or when, let's say, my husband has a grocery store girlfriend, the cute checker who smiles at him especially. I have playfully shown a little more PDA than usual when this happens, and I know he gets a kick out of that. So, Sarah, I'm down with that. I just don't call that jealousy. That's jealousy. I don't think so. I think jealousy is a palpable fear of losing somebody. And I don't... I think that there's just that... These are different degrees. That degree is where I draw the line. And I I don't call this jealousy. I just call it uh, playful marriage shenanigans. Everyone, (laughs) I would like to announce something. Um, Mr. Charles W. Chuck Bryant is now a convert to jealousy (laughs) in a relationship. There you go. Yeah. Thank you, Chuck. And that was very nice of you to, to select that letter rather than one, rather than one that was like, Josh is wrong, and here's why. Oh, that's coming up on the next one. Oh, just kidding. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Appreciate that email. It was very um, thoughtful and well-informed. Uh, if you want to send Chuck and me an email that's thoughtful and well-informed about, say, your first kiss, uh, wrap it up, send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. The HowStuffWorks.com iPhone app is coming soon. Get access to our content in a new way. Articles, videos, and more, all on the go. Check out the latest podcasts and blog posts, and see what we're saying on Facebook and Twitter. Coming soon to iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Hey, everybody. I want to talk to you for a second here about Canva, specifically Canva presentations that are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department department can save time on any presentation. So start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Just go to canva, C-A-N-V-A.com.